All I want from you is your ear. I don't want any money from you. I don't want you to say when you get drafted that Latroy Hawkins helped me. I don't want any of that. I just want to give you what I didn't have and give you some of the knowledge that I was able to accumulate over 21 years. And I always tell them this, I'm not your travel ball coach, okay? I guarantee your travel ball coach don't have the experience that I have. I can guarantee you that. Unless it's Jamie Moyer or somebody. That's it. When I think about so many of the legendary Negro League pitchers, and we have an amazing exhibit that we debuted this year in 2023 to commemorate the 75th anniversary of Satchel Paige joining then the Cleveland Indians, of course, now the Cleveland Guardians, and helping them win the pennant and move on to win the World Series. And as my Cleveland fans get so tired of hearing me say, at the time of this recording, that was the last time Cleveland won the World Series was 75 years ago in 1948, led by the old man, Leroy Satchel Page, and of course, the great Larry Doby. And people would oftentimes ask me to kind of roll off the list of teams that Satchel pitched for. And I would look at them and I would just smile and say, it is easier for me to tell you the team that he didn't play for than it is to rattle off all the teams that Satchel played for because Satchel played virtually with every team everywhere that you could absolutely tote them out. And I guess you could say the same thing about my good friend, Latroy Hawkins. 21 seasons, I believe 15, 16 teams that he played for over those 21 seasons. He was a true throwback to the Negro Leagues because he never met a city that he wasn't afraid to pitch in. And he wanted to pitch there. And he talks very glowingly about having become kind of this baseball nomad and how much he enjoyed all of those different environments and took something away from it. Troy Hawkins, I am so proud to call a friend. I have watched this young man from the time of my early involvement with this museum. And you've heard me talk about this on this show, about how he, Tory Hunter, and Jock Jones, when they were youngsters with the Minnesota Twins, they started to come and visit the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, and I could count on them coming here every year when the Twins came to town. It never failed. And even as they would go on to separate and move about with their own different teams, whenever those teams came into Kansas City, you can rest assured that those three players would always find their way here to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Just as I've talked about with Ryan Howard that this was somewhat of a rites of passage, I think the same could be said for LaTroy and Tory and Jock Jones, who are still, to this day, great friends. Whenever they came here, I think for them, it was an opportunity to pay respect and an opportunity to absorb some of the spirit of the Negro Leagues that allowed them to go on and do what they needed to do as they were playing this game at its highest level. 
And so to have the opportunity now on Black Diamonds to sit down with this journeyman, this baseball nomad, and someone who has the utmost respect for the history that we preserve and celebrate here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And I would imagine like any pitcher, a fan of the legendary Leroy Satchel Page, and he just happens to be Patrick Mahomes' godfather. And, and of course, if you haven't heard of this young man named Patrick Mahomes Jr., yeah, he just helped win another Super Bowl for our Kansas City Chiefs. And we get to see Latroy quite a bit because he comes in to watch Patrick do his thing quite often there at Arrowhead Stadium. So I am thrilled to welcome to Black Diamonds, recorded in front of a live audience at Playball Park, my dear friend, Latroy Hawkins. Hey, hey, we're right back here live at Playball Park. Thrilled to bring you another special All-Star Week episode of Black Diamond, our award-winning podcast in partnership with my friends over at Sirius XM Radio. And man, I, again, I seem to say this with almost every guest that comes on Black Diamonds, how thrilled I am to welcome someone who is no stranger to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. He played 21 seasons in the major leagues with 11 teams? 11 different teams. 11 different teams. But when I say this and I say it with sincerity, this man has been as close to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum as anyone. Y'all please welcome former major league great, LaTroy Hawkins. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate that. Man, it's always good to see you. Your it checks in the mail. Hey, I'm looking. We, I just told him we got this $25 million museum we got to build. So I'm looking forward to getting that check. But no, it is so good to see you. How are you enjoying the All-Star Game this year? Uh, having a great time. Just getting a chance to see some, some guys I hadn't seen in a long time and hanging out and, you know, just taking it all in. You know, it never gets old. Never. It, it never gets never. old. And, and for me, it feels like a, a family reunion. You know, oh. because you do. You see these folks. And, and for me, I don't typically see them but once a year here at the All-Star Game. And, and, and I love it. I, I remember in 2001, so that was my third year at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And then it was called Fan Fest. And, and we're coming into Fan Fest, me, Don Motley, Buck O'Neill, and at FanFest, at that time, there was a larger-than-life-size image of Buck when he was a member of the Kansas City Monarchs. And so we walk in, and there was a, an elderly white gentleman who was standing there admiring the image of Buck O'Neill when the real Buck O'Neill walks in behind him. <laughs> and Buck taps him on the shoulder and the gentleman turns around and he starts to shake. He's shaking. I think it scared Buck. I mean, because, and then tears started to flow down his face because he was that excited to see Buck O'Neill. And Buck reached out and gave him a hug. And that for me was kind of like, man, Buck is a rock star. Oh, hey, yeah, that's sure. rock star stuff. Uh, but it was always special. Seattle has always been special and is always special 
catching up with you. You know, I tell the story all the time, how you, Tori, Jock, Mike, yeah, Mike Jackson. Mike Jackson, yeah. Yeah, Mike Jackson. How Mike was older, of course, but you guys were young ball players when you first started coming to the museum and you never stopped coming. What was it about the museum that left that kind of impact on you? Um, you know, my grandfather, he passed away three years ago and at 95 years old, so he, he had a chance to actually experience the Negro Leagues and have his favorite players, and he always told me about it. And when I went to Kansas City the first time, I got a chance to meet Bob and Buck O'Neill and Mr. Motley, and it was like everything that my grandfather had told me about the Negro Leagues and the way the game was played, it all came, it was all, all they made it live. They made it real for me. And just being, being around Buck O'Neill, it was, it was like being around my grandfather. Like they talked about the same things. They had the same, <laughs> you know, they, when they were growing up, they had the same experiences in America. And it was just, it was just like hanging out with my grandfather. And, you know, and I, I remember making Buck a promise. I'll always be a part of the Negro League Museum. And I meant that. And I'm a man of my word. And, and like Bob said, I don't miss a chance to go to the museum. We were there less than a month ago. We yep. had, our yep. charity had 60 kids and their families. And Bob, you know, we were, they're not open on Mondays, but we're there on a Monday. Last summer, I brought my little nephews to the, to the museum. And, and anybody that's going through Kansas City, I always tell them, you have to go to the museum because it's a part of baseball that, that this story needs to continue to be told. And if we don't have people telling the story, we don't have people visiting the museum, the story is going to die down, and we don't want that to happen. We do not want that to happen because this part of baseball is very important to how baseball is played today. Yeah. You know, I'll never forget this as long as my mother would say I'm in my natural mind. 2006, our friend Buck O'Neill passes away, and we're in the midst of preparing his funeral services, and I get a call from this young man who says, I am coming to the funeral. Yeah. Uh, and here's someone who's still in the midst of his career, you know, and could be all over the world doing anything that he wanted to do at that time, but it was important for you to be there. Mm -hmm. and, and that touched me, y'all, in ways that I don't think I ever expressed uh, now almost 17 years later, but man, it meant the world to me I know it meant the world to so many of us at the museum. And, and I suspect that old Buck appreciated the fact that you took time out to acknowledge him at the time of his passing. Buck has such a huge influence on our, on our baseball career. I mean, all African-American players because he was part of that bridge that was built that we were allowed to cross. And I, and I, I think that sometimes that gets lost in in translation or whatever, but he was part of the group that built a bridge for myself and all the other black ball players to be able to play this great game that we love. And, and I always remember, Buck never said a bad word about anybody. Just wouldn't do it. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. Nope. And it's funny because I only knew a couple guys like that. One of them, my agent, Larry Reynolds. He's Harold Reynolds' bigger brother, big brother. But there's not many people that you can say, I've never heard them say a bad word about anybody not even the way he was treated in our country. He never had a bad word to say about anybody. And if, I think that's somebody like I would want to be like. And just the way he embraced us as young ball players, coming over to the museum, 
making sure we understood the history of the game and not the history of the game that they were trying to, you know, shove down our throats. There's a whole other part of the game, of the history of this game, that he wanted to make sure that we understood and we knew that existed. And I'll be forever indebted to him for that. And Mr. Nightingale and Mr. Motley, too, Mr. because Motley, Mr. Motley was a, a huge that. part of it. He just never sent me my pictures when he took my pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and then... 16 years later, almost around this time, we're there in Cooperstown, New York. And again, you made it a point to be there in Cooperstown to witness Buckle Neal's induction into the National Baseball Hall of Fame 16 years, y'all, after he missed by one vote and, of course, would pass away later that year. And it felt like it had almost gone full circle when we all... And I, I don't know if I knew you were coming. I just saw you because you were staying in the same hotel, hotel. Yep. that we were in. And, and again, it touched me in ways. It was important for you to be there. Yeah, it was very important just because the impact that Buck had on my life and my career. It was very important because, you know, just think about He missed about one vote. He wasn't mad that day when he missed by one vote. I was mad. Yeah, everybody around him was mad, but Buck wasn't mad. And what Buck said, I think he said, it just wasn't his time. And he said that throughout his life, it just wasn't his time. And I think for somebody to have that, that type of you know thought process and humbleness and the forgiveness in his heart, I, I'll do anything for Buck O'Neill. I, I mean, and coming to, to see him... It's the largest funeral I've ever been to because when we were going to the cemetery in <laughs> Kansas City, there were people over the overpass with signs that said, we love you, Buck. It wasn't just black people. It was no. white. It was every no. nationality loved Buck O'Neill. And that's how he was loved by not just by Kansas City, by baseball fans and people around the world. He impacted everybody's life. And I had a chance to witness this up, person, up close and personal. So yeah. it was important that I be there. Yeah, no, nah, and it was special, y'all. And it, they shut down the highway for Buck O'Neill's processional. Yeah, and, and I think after people who were on the ramps trying to get onto the highway, they finally realized what was going on, and they all started to get out of their cars and tip their cap yes. as, as the processional made his way up 71 Highway there in Kansas City. And, and it, it was, was something a, to see. It really, it was, it really to see. was. Take me back to your introduction to the game. Because you talked about when you were in Kansas City about basketball. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and you ended up playing 21 years in, in, in Major League Baseball. Well, it's just one of those things. You just never know what you're going to do. Like, I grew <laughs> up in Indiana, and Indiana is a it's huge a basketball. Big basketball state. But, you know, I always play baseball. I, I just. It was one of those things I did because my younger brother played and all the kids in our neighborhood played, and it was just something we did. But in Indiana, basketball is our thing. And my grandfather and um, my dad, you know, they, they played a little baseball growing up. And they, you know, my father graduated from high school in 1970, and my grandfather's from Mississippi. So he had a chance to see a lot of the guys that played in the Eagle East, and it impacted his life. And he just, he's always told me about, the Negro Leagues, always, always. Like Hilton Smith. I knew about Hilton Smith probably before he ever told me about Jackie Robinson. <laughs> you know, like Satchel Paige. 
Satchel Paige, he was calling me Satchel when I was a little bitty boy. So he and like he started planting those seeds. And you know, the older I got, the more I started reading about the Negro Leagues. And this is before I even made it to the major leagues. And I found out I have the same birthday as Josh Gibson, 1221. So, you know, I just thought it was like it was almost destined for me to, you know, play baseball and hopefully one day make it something that was gonna, you know, have me on the stage in Fan Fest in <laughs> Seattle in 2023. <laughs> so full circle. It's just I mean, I was a basketball player, but I was only a basketball player because I didn't know I was a baseball player. Yeah, and when I found that I was I was a baseball player, and the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. How much fun was it playing in Minnesota with Tory and Jock? Wow. We had Tory, Jock, Matt Lawton, like you said, Mike Jackson, Shannon Stewart at one time, and we had Christian Guzman. And I think, like, just growing up in an organization that had a lot of guys in our minor league system that looked like me. I mean, that's a real big that that's a real big deal because you have people around you who understand you, people around you that came from some of the same you know upbringing that you came from, and it's even better when you have guys who have the same mindset. We were there. We wasn't there just for fun. We were there trying to make a difference. You know, get to the big leagues. So when you have a group of like six of us, and all of us made it to the big leagues, I think we picked our group of friends right because. You know, we pushed each other. We got on each other when we need to get on each other. We didn't take it personal. We were in each other's weddings. We were godfathers to each of our first, our firstborn, and that was 30 years ago. And we're still all good friends to this day. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's 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 a family, and you know, we call each other. The funny thing, we don't talk every day. <laughs> we don't talk every week. But when we do talk once a month or whenever we decide to shoot each other texts on our group texts. It's like we hadn't missed a beat. So, you know, I just met some lifelong brothers in the game of baseball that, you know, they'll be part of my life for, to yeah. the end. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I think that's important as a young ball player moving into Major League Baseball, being around someone who understands what you're going through, not just in the game, but culturally as well. Culturally, I, I, sure. that That is really significant. Uh, and we've talked about this here on Black Diamonds with CC Sabathia. He talks about he never had more fun than the season he played in Milwaukee. And they had six or seven black guys on that team. And he just said it was the best time that he had in baseball. CC Sabathia, y'all, is a future Hall of Famer. Famer. Played on some great teams. But just in terms of being comfortable, yes. enjoying the game, said it never had a, a better time than the, the time that he spent playing in Milwaukee. Yeah, and when we say that, I was always comfortable. But when you got guys that's around you from the you know same upbringing and look like you, it's just that's almost like the cherry on top. It's almost like the cherry on top. You're comfortable. And if we'd have had some coaches that look like us, whew, we'd have had a lot more fun. <laughs> <laughs> what do you remember about your big, big league debut? Ooh, I stunk. <laughs> Were you nervous? You know what? I was not nervous. I It was against the Oreos in Minnesota. I think I had like 35 people driver from Indiana, family and friends, high school teammates, driver from Indiana. I was not nervous. And I think that's probably was my issue because when should've I came back, I should have been nervous. Been nervous. Yep. <laughs> but after I got sent back down and they came back that September, I was nervous. 
So I had it kind of backwards. I should have been nervous on the front end, but I wasn't. And I think I was that way because I tried to play like I, you know, like I had been there before and not let my nerves get the best of me. But I think if I would have been nervous, I probably would have been a little bit more prepared. But again, I wasn't prepared to be in the big leagues when I was in the big leagues. We were rebuilding in Minnesota and you know, a lot of young guys got a chance to come up to the major leagues when we were, we definitely were not ready. And that's sometimes a good thing and sometimes a bad thing. But I just, you know, I had to thank guys like Tom Kelly, our manager at the time, our general manager, um, Terry Ryan. Thank Terry, you, yes, TR. Yes. <laughs> and guys like that that actually really believed in me when I was going out there, finished being 6-12 and 12 with a 6-6-6 ERA and 29 starts in the major leagues. So... They had a lot of confidence that, you know, eventually what they saw in me would come out. And I have to give those guys a lot of credit to some of my success, especially early on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there you know, we all no matter what profession we're in, there are lows, but then there are also highs. Is there any moment? I know you played for 21 years. That's right. There's a lot of moments in those 21 years. Is there anything, though, that stands out in your mind over those 21 years? That you know, you say, "Oh man, that was, yeah, no, that was that was good." <laughs> <laughs> See, for me, I think I know that going to playing in eleven different organizations, that for me was the highlight of my career, because I got a chance to play with so many other players. Like you know, it's cool. Like, oh, I'm gonna stay one season. I mean, one career, my whole career, with one team, but. I embraced moving around to the different organizations because I got to meet so many people from the grounds crew to the PR to the the security in the players' parking lot. I got a chance to meet so many great people that I, I know I wouldn't have had a chance to even have you know them have an impact on my life had I stayed in just one place. So I think all the people and all the relationships that I was able to make throughout my career, that's probably the highlight of my career because I always said I wanted to be I wanted to be remembered by how I treated people and not by the stats on the back of my baseball card. Because people always remember how you treated them. Yeah. This summer, celebrate the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum's Pitch for the Future. With your donation, you can help bring Buck O'Neill's vision to life with the construction of the Buck O'Neill Education and Research Center, as well as the brand new Negro Leagues Baseball Museum on the historic site of the Paseo YMCA in Kansas City, where the Negro National League was founded in 1920. We're building the nation's only Negro Leagues campus, an international hub for Negro Leagues and social history. Yes, a transformative complex so that future generations will be inspired by those who dared to dream. To donate, visit nlbm.com slash pitch for the future. You're working diligently like a number of folks now who are engaging and trying to grow our game yeah. in the African-American community again a game that has been good to you. You're now trying to make sure that we create an opportunity for greater access to this game. Correct. Why is that important to you? It's important because playing for as long as I did, I kind of like, I did my camping in my hometown of Gary, Indiana. I did the Little League thing. But you're so far away from it. Like, I didn't see the impact that travel baseball and everything else was having on the African-American community and the minority communities of playing the game. I was trying to be the best 
pitcher I could be. And I kind of forgot about, you know, the grassroots part of the game. And you know, a lot of people didn't do a lot of things at the time, but I have to give, you know, Manfred and, and Tony Clark a lot of credit because they're doing a lot right now trying to make sure that the African-American kids and the minority kids get their opportunity to play the game. We have the um, Dream Series, which we do over MLK Weekend, have it out in Arizona and Tempe Stadium. The 1st of June, they do the Breakthrough Series where they bring in players and they get instructions from retired major leaguers. And then at the end of this month, they'll do the Hank Aaron, which is two weeks, and then they'll, pick, they'll take those guys to Atlanta to play a, a, um, a game at the, at the Brave Stadium. So it's a lot of things going on that, that you guys are starting to see the, the fruits of the labor. You're starting to see a lot of the African-American kids get drafted in the top rounds. Um, but it's been fun just because I get a chance to go back, you know, pour into those kids' cup. Like I said, I wish I had coaches that look like me. Well, they have opportunity to have coaches that look like them, who've been there, who've done it, who don't want anything from them. All I want from you is your best effort. All I want from you is your ear. I don't want any money from you. I don't want you to say when you get drafted that Latroy Hawkins helped me. I don't want any of that. I just want to give you what I didn't have and give you some of the knowledge that I was able to accumulate over 21 years. And I always tell them this, I'm not your travel ball coach, okay? I guarantee your travel ball coach don't have the experience that I have. I can guarantee you that. Unless it's Jamie Moyer or somebody. That's it. <laughs> you know, and it's beautiful to see that this collective of guys who were able to earn their careers in professional baseball who are giving back. Because for me, LaTroy, it stems from the Negro Leagues. You know, and I know you experienced this when you got to the major leagues. That older African-American ball player when you came on those teams, particularly early on, yeah, they were going to take care of you. They, they were going to take care of you. They taught you, you know, I, I remember Buck saying when a young kid would come up to join the Kansas City Monarchs, the first thing they would do they would take him to the tailor down on 18th and Vine, and he hadn't even got a check yet. He signed, and they were going to make him two suits. When he got his first check from the Monarchs, he'd come back and pay him. You know, and then after that, Buck and those guys, every young ball player, they probably never paid for dinner. You know, they took care of those guys, and there was this brotherhood amongst those players, and I think it all stems from the Negro Leagues. Yeah. My rookie year in the Major League, I stayed with um, Scott Erickson and Pat Mahomes. Those were my, my big brothers. Kirby was our big, big, big brother. <laughs> but Kirby had a family and kids, and, but I lived with Scott Erickson and Pat Mahomes my rookie year in the Major Leagues, and I didn't pay rent. I never paid for lunch or dinner. They took care of me like I was a, I was a toddler. And I'll, I'll, I'll always be indebted to those guys just because they didn't have to do that. But like you said, it came from the, from the Negro Leagues, and they said they wanted my experience. They wanted me to worry about one thing, and that was playing baseball. They didn't want me to worry about what I was going to wear, where I was going to live, what I was going to eat. They were veterans. They were guys that had a few years in the big leagues. They were going to take care of that. Yeah. And I like to say I, over my career, I did that also. I made sure that the young guys, when they came up, I didn't care what color you were. You can be green. If you came up to my team, you were going to get a suit. I was going to have a lady from LAV. They were going to come in. I was going to get you a suit, and you are going to get some shoes to match. 
and my wife, she, you spending so much money, blah, 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 this and that. Like those guys making money, they can, it's not about that. It's what was done to me, and I'm going to play it for it. And all I asked those guys to do was it's make sure that thing. they did it. That's yeah. all I ask. Make sure you do the same thing. Never forget how you were brought up in this game. Make sure you pass that baton to the next generation. It's probably gotten dropped a few times over the years now, but <laughs> <laughs> I thought I did a pretty good job. And, you know, just doing it when Tory came, Tory Hunter came to the major leagues, did it for Tory. Uh, Matt Lawton was in the big leagues before me, so I got a suit from um, – Pat Mahomes, I got a suit from Scott Erickson, I got a suit from Kirby Puckett, Pedro Munoz, Shane Mack. I had I had about seven suits and I had no shoes to wear with them. <laughs> but pay it for it. Pay it for it. And then those relationships, like Pat Mahomes Sr. and I best friends to this day. I can call Pat right now and I'm like, hey, I need you to come to Seattle. He's not gonna ask me why. I said, we're going to the moon. He'll be like, the moon won't be the same when we get there. That's the type of friendship we have. Yeah. And Scott Erickson, the same way. He ain't going to ask me any questions. I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, but, and, and that's beautiful, and that's what sports does, I think, as well. It creates lifelong friendships. Yes. It, it really does. And, and I can't let you get out of here without this. He talked about Pat Mahomes Sr., but he's also the godfather of a kid that plays quarterback there in Kansas City for those great Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes second. down Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like to have young Patrick hanging around the locker room with you guys and, uh, and as you watched his career unfold? <laughs> I mean, it's amazing to watch what has happened with this young man. See, I don't go back to the time when I when he was in the clubhouse. What does I go back to when I used to change his diapers and babysit him? Like I go way back, way back when you guys see that little picture of him with his hair around here and just at the top, and he got a pacifier in his mouth. I go back that far, but he did the same thing in high school. Like, I mean, I lived two hours from them, and I used to drive on on Friday nights to go watch him play football. But I always thought he was a better basketball player, not even a better baseball player. He was a better basketball player. And that was his least favorite sport. But just watching him manifest into, you know, what you guys get a chance to see. His dad and I saw that in high school. Yeah. He's just doing it on a hub, another level now. He was doing the same thing in high school. Left-hand passes, throwing, you know, every <laughs> throw you see him make on Sundays now. He was doing that type of stuff in high school. And... Just to see the success and the young man and the family man and the husband that he's, he's, he's coming so to. with this success. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing that you admire. I've gotten to admire it up close and personal. But certainly from afar, you admire his connections to that Kansas City community. The philanthropic nature of what he does to help make our city better. The impact and influence that he's having on kids of all color yep. in, in our game. He is absolutely a pro's pro in how he handles and conducts himself. And, and I love the fact that through his father, through Latroy, he learned about Satchel Paige and he talks about how he would emulate Satchel and the arm angles and the things that he now applies in another sport 
is attributed to the likes of the great Satchel Paige. So Patrick Mahomes can't do any wrong in my eyes. Uh, and he is an amazing young man. I am glad he is. His craft is in Kansas City. <laughs> I hope there are more Super Bowl oh, parades for Ain't us. Ain't no hope. Ain't no hope. There will Sorry, Seahawks fans. Right, my there bad. My bad. But we're there looking for be. more Super Bowl. He's a great young man. Uh, I can't wait for the opportunity to get you and Senior and, and, and Patrick at the Negro Leagues Museum. We got to make this happen. We can we make it happen because he loves the museum. He does. He and does. last year when I came and I brought my nephew, you know, Brittany brought the kids. That's right. The kids. That's right. So, but he was in camp somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, they made yeah. sure. No, he's he a came. special young man. And, and Latroy, you are. I'm just glad he paid attention, Bob. I'm glad. I'm glad he paid attention because <laughs> you know what, Dad and I made a lot of mistakes, and he knew what what not to do. So he he's a, he's a good he's good at paying attention to things. Well, that, I mean, and and that's great because you know I'm sure my. My my youngest son would say the exact same thing. He saw what <laughs> Big Brother did that Daddy didn't really care for, and he's like, "Uh-uh, I ain't gonna do the same thing. I know how that's gonna turn out. Not well. It's not well at all." Before I let you get out of here, we just announced our plans to build a new Negro Leagues baseball museum. You were there in those early years. You've seen this organization continue to grow leaps and bounds. You've been a part of this organization almost from the time that you stepped into a major league uniform. Mm -hmm. And you talked about your love for Buck, your love for the late Don Motley, how much they gave of themselves to keep this organization afloat. And now here we are on the cusp of building a brand new Negro Leagues Museum. What does that make you feel like too? It just guarantees that the story will be continue to be told for many years to come. And at the end of the day, I think that's what Buck and Mr. Molly were wanting. That's exactly. they, it's going to be continued. It's going to be told. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be told. And I encourage anybody, if you get out to Kansas City, before you go get some barbecue, okay, go check out the museum. You will be blown away by the stories and the memorabilia that's in there. You will be blown away. It's it's such a humbling experience. And the way the museum is set up, you walk in, you get to watch the game, see the legends, you see it from behind chicken wire. So you get a real feel of how, you know, how, the, how people were treated back then. They don't have the fancy net, they had chicken wire. So it's a great experience. And I, you know, I took, like I said, I took my nephew, they're six and eight now, but I took them last year and they, they loved it. They absolutely loved it. And you know what? Can't take them every year, but I'll make sure they're there every yeah. other year. Yeah, because that experience will change as they grow. Older, yes. Yeah, and I appreciate you doing yes. that. The Troy Hawkins, I appreciate everything that you've done in support of this museum. I know my friend Buck O'Neill. He's up there smiling down. He's very appreciative as well. Y'all, give it up for former Major League great The Troy Hawkins. Black Diamonds is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network and is hosted by me, Bob Kendrick, with additional voiceovers provided by Donnie or Samuels. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. SiriusXM Podcasts.